But tonight, our study of 1 Timothy is winding down. We've got two weeks left. So turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 6. Uh, we're going we're gonna to be done with chapter 6 and, and done with 1 Timothy by the end of this month. And tonight, we have a pretty interesting passage as Paul is leaving some final instructions for Timothy, the guy that Paul left in charge of the church of Ephesus. He was the pastor of that church. So let's read 1 Timothy 6, 11 through 16. But thou, O man of God, flee these things, and follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, meekness. Fight the good fight of faith, lay hold on eternal life, whereunto thou art also called, and hast professed a good profession before many witnesses. I give thee charge in the sight of God, who quickeneth all things, and before Christ Jesus, who before Pontius Pilate witnessed a good confession, that thou keep this commandment without spot, unrebukable, until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which in his times he shall show, who is the blessed and only potentate, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who, ha- who only hath immortality, dwelling in the light which no man can approach unto, whom no man hath seen nor can see, to whom be honor and power everlasting. Amen. And so in this passage, Paul gives some, Paul gives some specific and clear commands to Timothy on, on what he should be doing and, and how long he should be doing it, and even some indication of why he should be doing it and what he will get for doing it. And so this is particularly applicable for us because Paul begins this passage by addressing Timothy as a man of God. Now, if you look up that phrase, man of God, Timothy is the only specific person in the New Testament who is called a man of God. But that doesn't mean that Timothy is the only man of God because we find the phrase mentioned elsewhere. For example, uh, 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 says, All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. And so, yes, I realize Paul is, is also writing to Timothy here. Um, so specifically, he's writing to Timothy, but he's also speaking in a more general sense in 2 Timothy 3. He says that the man of God may be perfect. That's just anyone who is a man of God can be made perfect. They can be made mature if they study and live by the scriptures. So any man or woman of God can find spiritual maturity by sticking with the words of God and doing what they say. So even though Timothy is the only specific person referred to as a man of God, we too can strive to be the men and women of God if we strive to become mature believers through the word of God. And that's what all of us should desire from our lives because it's what God desires from our lives. So understanding that, we should understand what Paul is telling Timothy here in 1 Timothy 6. Uh, We should understand that's pretty important for us to to hear as well. So keep that in mind as we dig through this passage. Um, But also keep in mind there's a ton of stuff in this passage and we just don't have time to dig it all out. Uh, So what we will see is some specific instructions from the Lord on how we're to live our lives, and we'll see some reasons why we should want to adhere to those instructions. We just don't have time to dig through all the details. Um, So grab your Bibles at home, study this stuff on your own. Uh, We just don't have the time to cover all of it. And so first, we'll dig into the commands, and that's point number one. This passage gives us three specific commands, and they're all one-word commands that start with the letter F. And because of that, I I wanted to call tonight's message three little (laughs) F-words. But the church secretary, who happens to be my mother, wouldn't print the study sheets if I did. 
So I ended up calling tonight's message The Man of God, but I just want you guys to know what the real title of tonight's <laughs> message is. But the first command we find in verse 11 is, is flee. Uh, and that's where he says, flee these things. And understanding the biblical concept of fleeing something is important because the Bible tells us to flee some things. For example, 1 Corinthians 6.18 says, Flee fornication. Every sin that a man doeth is without the body, but he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. So fleeing fornication is important because of the physiological damage it does to our bodies. Fornication is a unique sin in that way, and we'll talk more about that sometime next month during our relationship series, but that's not the only thing we're told to flee from. 1 Corinthians 10.14 says, Wherefore, my dearly beloved, flee from idolatry. So when you find something in your life that has a hold on you so much that you make it an idol, you're told to flee from it. And this is why it's an important thing to understand fleeing, especially in light of some of these other commands. Because yes, we serve an all-powerful God, but that doesn't mean we're all-powerful ourselves. Some things the Bible tells us to resist, others it tells us to fight, but these things, things like fornication and idolatry, we're told to flee from. Because some things just have a control over us that make us unable to stand against them. And yes, God can certainly overcome those things in your life, but only if you let him. And, you're only, and, and you allow him to overcome these things by fleeing from them before they get a hold of you. 2 Timothy 2.20 tells, tells us to, to flee also youthful lusts, but follow righteousness, faith, charity, peace with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Because there's some things you just can't overcome, especially when you're, you're young. We understand that from a physical perspective. When you're young and they told you in school about stranger danger, what they tell you to do? Run away. Run away. Yell for help from an older person as you do. Get somebody else's attention so they can help you. Because while your mom or dad might have been able to resist or fight the stranger, you couldn't because you were, you were so small. Well, from a spiritual perspective, the principle's the same. As a young Christian, you probably lack the spiritual fortitude that God has been able to build up in others over time. There's nothing wrong with that. That's just the way it works. So when something comes along in your life, that can get its hands on you, whether it's fornication or something else that you risk making an idol, well, flee from it. Get someone's help who's more mature than you. And like I said, there's nothing wrong with being a young Christian. That just means you're a Christian who's a new Christian. That's, that's fine. You just don't want to be there forever. You want to grow into a more mature believer. But no matter how mature you may become, there's always going to be some stuff in your life that you're powerless to overcome. And that's the stuff we're told to flee from. And specifically here in 1 Timothy 6, Timothy, who is clearly a mature believer, pastoring a church, he's told to flee these things. And we talked about this before. The phrase these things shows up throughout Paul's letters to Timothy. And the these things here just refers to some of the stuff we've been talking about over the past couple weeks. Last week, Zach hit on the temptation uh, in 1 Timothy 6 verse 9. He hit on the love of money in 1 Timothy 6 verse 10. A couple weeks ago, we hit on perverse disputings in verse 5. We hit on uh, the, 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 the men who just try to stir up trouble uh, in, your, in your church body. Well, those are, the, those are the things you should be fleeing from. That's the stuff that anyone should flee from, regardless of how spiritually mature they may be. So are those things that you flee from? Or are they just things that you like to dabble in as long as you don't feel like you go too far? Because when you flee from temptation, for example, we talked about that last week, it means you get out of whatever situation you're in when temptation first shows up. 
You're not fleeing temptation if you're waiting around until you're on the cusp of sinning before you try to stop things. Because at that point, you're far less able to make rational, eternally-minded decisions. But if you flee when you're supposed to, you're doing the most you possibly can to avoid whatever that thing is. But when you flee, you're not just fleeing from something because the command to flee is immediately followed by the command to follow in verse 11. And that's where he says, uh, follow after... Sorry, I lost it. Yeah, follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, and meekness. And so there's some things that, that we should be following after. And that's important because we can't just try to flee from something unless we're, we flee to something better because then we'll end up lost in the middle of nowhere. And those things that we're supposed to, f- and, and, and that's what we're supposed to flee to. We're supposed to flee or, so that we can follow some of these other things. Now, we all have an idea of what it means to follow something. Uh, we do it on social media all the time. When you follow something, you pay attention to it. You, you make sure it shows up in your life uh, on a daily basis as you're scrolling through your feed. Uh, when you follow something in your life, you line up or you line your life up with it so that your life is pointed at that thing and you move towards that thing and get to know it more and more as time goes on. You're allowing something else to lead you. Well, the Bible contains many instructions for us to follow various things. Uh, for example, in my mind, the primary example, what Jesus says in Luke 9, 23, and he said to them all, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. So we're supposed to follow Jesus That's obvious. That's something most of us know. But understand that we're not only supposed to follow Jesus. This passage in 1 Timothy 6, this passage alone lists six things we're supposed to follow if we want to be men and women of God. And we don't have time tonight to look at everything we're supposed to be following as followers of Christ. If you look up the word follow or following or follower in the Bible and see all the things that we as Christians are supposed to follow, there's there's a lot. But you have a Bible, and you have tools like a concordance or a Bible app to do that. You can find all that stuff. You can make notes on it. You can, you can dig through that. And we don't even really have time to dig into the six things in our passage that we're supposed to follow. Like, that could be, we could spend an entire week talking about each one of those things, because those are some pretty big topics. But again, you've got your Bible go do that work. I encourage you to do it. Find out what you're supposed to follow and then line your life up with those things. But I'll go through them very quickly. In the interest of time, I'm just going to give you a simple definition of each one. If you want a more detailed and nuanced definition, you're going to have to do the work on this one. Righteousness, well, that's just, that's what is right. Assuming we're talking about God's righteousness and not man's righteousness, because man's righteousness is nothing. God's righteousness is everything. Godliness is being what is right. That's making yourself uh, as as look look as you're making your life look as godly as possible by living the way the Bible says. You're being what is right. Faith is believing what is right. That's putting your hope and trust into what the Bible tells you. Love is doing what is right. Too often we think of love as an emotion or something we feel because that's the way we use the word love. Like, man, I love tacos. I don't even like tacos, but that's what popped in my head. Um, that's the way we use the word love, but the Bible's understanding of love is, is actually much different. In the Bible, love or charity is more of an action you use to display the care and affection you have for another person. Um, so look up love, look up charity. Uh, charity is 
a different word for love in the Bible, so uh, look that one up too. Patience, that's waiting for what is right. Because too often we want good things, we just want them when we're not supposed to have them. And so we need patience. Meekness is the attitude that's right. Because we can do the right things at the right time, but if we have the wrong attitude, then we're not accomplishing things for the Lord. And so we need to follow after meekness. But those things are the things we're supposed to follow. And those are the things that we need to point our lives towards and focus on if we're going to bring glory to God the way a man or woman of God should. So we flee from some things and we follow some others. And the third F word we're given is fight. And that's letter C in verse 12. It says, fight the good fight of faith. And if you've been paying attention on Sunday mornings for the last couple weeks, you'll recognize this command to fight. And this one is in is incredibly important because as Christians, we too often forget that we're in a very real spiritual war with very real spiritual enemies. And rather than fighting those enemies, we often find ourselves being friends with them or, or being friendly with them. Paul tells Timothy back in 1 Timothy 1.18, This charge I commit unto thee, son Timothy, according to the prophecies which went before on thee, that thou mightest war a good warfare. So Timothy was told to war a good warfare, and that's something that we often forget, is that we're supposed to war a good warfare. And it's when we forget that, that we allow the very things that we're supposed to be fighting get a hold of our lives and, and, and turn them into what they want them to be. Those, those enemies that we turn into our friends. And, you know, namely, the Bible gives us uh, three specific enemies, and that's the world, the flesh, and the devil, now, you don't find too many people who get friendly with Satan, though those people do exist. But you find Christians far too often being way too friendly with the world and the way the world thinks. And it all starts with acceptance of, oh, you can think that way if, if I think that way. But then you end up thinking that way too, and, and the world pollutes the way you think. And you for sure find Christians who only live life in a way that gratifies their flesh. You see that all the time. We understand, we all understand those enemies, but we often forget to fight them. Sometimes we, we think about them when we're, when we're in the well on Tuesdays or in church on Sundays, but as soon as we're at home, we don't give them an extra thought and we just let them into our lives and affect us every day. Or on the flip side of things, we forget that our fight with them, our war, is one of a spiritual nature rather than a physical one. Yeah, we might be fighting the right battle, but we often forget that we have to make sure we're fighting it on the right turf. 2 Corinthians 10, 3-5 says, for, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and everything, or every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. And so our fight is a spiritual one. It's one that mostly takes place in your head. Our fight is spiritual, at least for now. We'll see later tonight that when Jesus returns, he makes it a physical fight, and he's the one who gets the victory as soon as he does. But right now, we're called to spiritually fight some things. I won't spend too much time on this because we've been talking about this on Sunday mornings. You remember the, the theme verse for, for our church this year is Nehemiah 4.14. It says, And I looked and rose up and said unto the nobles and to the rulers and to the rest of the people, Be not ye afraid of them, Remember the Lord, which is great and terrible, and fight for your brethren, your sons and your daughters, your wives and your houses. So 
We need to fight. We must make sure we're fighting for the right things if we want to be men and women of God. We can't just passively allow life to pass us by without seeing the opportunities we have to participate in the spiritual war for people's souls. And that's really where this spirit lies. It's a war for people's souls. Winning people to Christ and making disciples is how we fight this war. And so look, the world and the devil aren't waiting around. They're spending all their time and all their energy to get people to believe the wrong things so they stay trapped in the world system and get stuck in hell, eternally separated from God. Man, shame on us if we're not just as dedicated to seeing people freed from their sins so they can spend eternity with the Lord as sons of God. Shame on us if we refuse to fight. Because when you get to the end of your life, you want to be able to say what Paul said in 2 Timothy 4, 7. He said, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. So you want to see a life of fighting the right fight? Just look at Paul's life. Look at what he did and what God used him to do. Study his life through the book of Acts. Study his life as he details it through all of his letters to churches. His life saw people get saved. His life saw, saw disciples made, and his life saw churches planted. God used him to do a lot because he was willing to fight. That's the fight. That's the war that we're in. So we need to flee from some things, and we need to follow the right things. And we need to fight the spiritual war that we're in rather than continue to pretend it doesn't exist because too often that's what we do. But doing those things is hard. Uh, Hopefully, no one's going to lie to you and make you think that being a man or woman of God is going to be easy. But our passage tonight also assures us that being a man or woman of God is going to be worth it in the end. So let's look at number two, the rewards. And properly understanding our rewards for living as a man or woman of God, requires that we look at our rewards from two different angles. So first, let's look at letter A, the eternal nature of our rewards. And this angle is is centered around that phrase in verse 12 that says to lay hold on eternal life. And what we need to make sure we clear up is that laying hold on eternal life is not talking about getting saved. Because having, having something is different than laying hold on it. And so historically, remember, this was written to Timothy, who would have been saved for years when Paul wrote this letter to him. So Paul isn't telling Timothy, hey, dude, you got to get saved. Like, he's not saying lay hold on eternal life means you need to get saved. But he's also not telling him to go out and obtain eternal life because eternal life is something you get the moment you're saved. We can see that in 1 John 5, 11 through 13. And so as I'm reading this, pay attention to the verb tenses because they're all in the present tense. 1 John 5 verse 11 says, And this is the record that God hath given to us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He that hath the Son hath life, and he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life, and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. So, Does it say, he that hath the Son will have eternal life? No. It says, he that hath the Son hath eternal life. It's in the present tense. And in verse 13, it says, if you believe on the name of the Son of God, then you have eternal life. So eternal life isn't something you get when you die. It's something you get as soon as you get Jesus, as soon as you get saved, because he's the one with the life. And as soon as you accept him as your personal Savior, He comes into your life and gives you 
that life. So if you're saved, you already have eternal life. And this is one of the reasons why we can know for sure that our salvation is secure in Christ. Because by definition, eternal life is eternal. And if something's eternal, then it lasts forever. So if you have eternal life because you're saved, you can't lose that eternal life because then it wouldn't have been eternal in the first place. Does that make sense? Our eternal life is something that lasts forever. So when we get saved, we're sealed by the Holy Spirit forever. We get to spend eternity with God regardless. So when Paul is telling us and Timothy to lay hold on eternal life, he's not talking about getting saved. So what is he actually, actually talking about? Well, like I said, laying hold on something is very different than simply having it. Because when you lay hold on something, you grab it, you pull it close, you cling to it, you focus on it. And when you do that with your eternal life, you automatically stop clinging to your temporary physical life, the things of this world. You start living your life in a way that affects your eternal life instead of living your life in a way that affects your physical life. Colossians 3.2 says, Set your affections on things above, not on things on the earth. And that communicates the same idea. Your eternal life consists of the things above which you don't have yet. And when you lay hold on your eternal life, you start focusing on those things. You set your affection on them. Paul makes this incredibly clear just a little later on in 1 Timothy 6 because he actually defines what it means and what it looks like when a person lays hold on eternal life just a few verses down from our passage tonight. 1 Timothy 6.19 says, laying up in store for themselves a good foundation against the time to come that they may lay hold on eternal life. So laying hold on eternal life is defined for us or it's demonstrated for us as laying up in store a good foundation against the time to come. And because it's eternal life we're, we're laying hold on, we know that the time to come that we're storing a good foundation for, well, that's our eternity, that we get to be with the Lord after this life is over. It's the things above. It's the things we're waiting for. You're not laying hold on eternal life by investing your, your money here. You're not laying hold on eternal life by investing in Bitcoin to try to skirt the nasty inflation our country is going through right now. There's nothing wrong with investing or financially preparing for the future. That's just not what laying hold on eternal life is. Because those investments only produce results in this life, in in your physical life, not in your eternal life. And so you lay hold on eternal life by investing into your eternal life and focusing on that. Laying hold on eternal life is doing what 2 John 1.8 says. It says, look to yourselves that we lose not those things which we have wrought, but that we receive a full reward. And so that's what, we're, that's what we're talking about. We're talking about receiving a full reward. That's how you store up a good foundation against the time to come, because at the end of our physical lives, the only things we can carry through to eternity are the rewards that God offers us for our obedience to what the Bible says, which is why it's important that we adhere to the commands we looked at earlier to, to flee, to follow, and to fight. Because the things of this world will fade away when we reach eternity. So literally, we will have wasted our lives if we're not living the way the Bible tells us to. Because the Bible tells us how to live our lives in a way that makes a difference in eternity. This is just the principle of sowing and reaping we see from Galatians 6.8. It says, For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption, but he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. 
So you want to reap rewards in eternity that will last forever. Because yes, if you're saved, you get to participate in eternity. You get to spend forever with the, with the body of Christ, it, with Jesus Christ. But man, the rewards aren't guaranteed the way our salvation is. So you gotta, you gotta do what the Bible says to get them. And you wanna reap those rewards? Well, you know what to do. Sow to the Spirit. And you sow to the Spirit by living the way the Bible tells you to, by fleeing from the things you should avoid, by following the things you should follow, and by fighting the spiritual war that we're all caught up in. That is what God wants for all of us. And this is what Paul referred to in Philippians 3.14 when he said, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Because God calls all of us to live this way and focus on eternal things. But that just because he called you to do it, well, that doesn't mean it's going to just happen in your life. You have to choose to live that way so that you can obtain eternal rewards and make a difference in eternity with your life. Just like we're all called to be saved. God offers salvation to every human being, but the ones who get it are the ones who choose to submit to what his word says and accept Jesus' sacrifice for their sins. The same way we have to, now that we're saved, we have to choose to live the way the Bible tells us to so our lives make a difference. Because God wants all of us to attain, obtain eternal rewards. He's given us the info we need to do that. But we still have to choose uh, that life for ourselves. And when we do that, we're able to, we will be able to fully enjoy the eternal life that he's given to us. We won't lose those rewards that we could have earned. Remember, we looked at what uh, Paul said at the end of his life in 2 Timothy 4. Well, look at what he said as a result. Again, I'll read verse 7. He says, I fought a good fight. I finished my course. I have kept the faith. Verse 8, henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. So you want, the kind of, you want that kind of confidence moving into eternity. At the end of your life, you want to look back and know, man, I left it all on the field. I did what was asked of me. I, I, I tried to share the gospel with people. I tried to make disciples. I did all the things I knew to do. Um, you want that kind of confidence. And each of us can if we just commit to allowing God's words to get into our lives every day and commit to allowing his words to shape the way we live our life. But that's easier said than done. That's to be sure. But man, God, God wants to reward us for that if we do. And so if that's not motivation, like, like I have no motivation to offer you outside of, man, the Lord wants to, wants to reward you. Um, but we obviously don't get those rewards right away. So let's shift into letter B, the future timing of our rewards. And that's what we see in verses 15 through 16, or 14 through 16. So properly understanding our rewards requires that we properly understand that we won't get these rewards until Jesus Christ returns. We can see that in our passage. If you look at verse 14, it says that thou keep this commandment without spot, unrebukable, until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. And that's when these rewards will be given to us, at the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's his second coming. We have to wait until we are with him face to face before he gives us our rewards. And that makes sense because he is the one who will give us our future rewards and other rewards aren't worth getting. And the reason why is because of who he is. He's the king of kings and the Lord of lords. We also see that in Revelation 19, 16. Uh, the, the passage in 1 Timothy 6 says he's the blessed and only potentate, which 
is another fancy way of saying he's the most high being in the universe. Uh, Psalm 47 verse 2 says, For the Lord most high is terrible. He is a great king over all the earth. Psalm 95.3 says, For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. No entity can measure up to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And nothing we put our time and energy towards can reward us the way he can reward us. Man, if there's one thing that's worth it, it's him. And to be fair, there's one thing that's worth it, and it's him. We have a lot to look forward to, living in eternity with him, if we just submit to doing what he asks us to do now. We just have to make it through these short lives we have, serving him before we can expect him to reward us. That's the trick. You got to get through it now to, to, to get the payoff later. And I know we understand that because that's what you do with your money when you have a 401k or an IRA. You put money away that you can't use now so that you can use it later. Well, that's the idea. We're giving up our life now for our Savior so that he can give us the life he wants us to have in eternity. Zechariah 14.9 says, And the Lord shall be king over all the earth. In that day shall there be one Lord and his name one. So when he returns to this planet and sets up his kingdom, man, that's when he'll demonstrate who he is to everyone. But we already know who he is because of what he's done for us and because of what, of what his words have told us. And we place our faith in him, even though we've never seen this type of demonstration of his power and might like he'll do on that day when he, when he returns. But man, do we live our lives like, like we know who he is? Like we understand who he is. We can go to the Bible and see description after description of who God is and how much he loves us and how powerful he is. But do we live our lives in a way that demonstrates that we have that understanding? Because that's who he really is. But because that day hasn't arrived yet, man, it's easy for us to forget how great and mighty he is. It's easy to forget how worthy of our lives he is. So man, I challenge you, don't forget that. The coming day of the Lord can be something we look forward to if we just live the way the Bible tells us to live now. And yes, again, I recognize that's hard work, but you'll get to rest eventually. There's good news. 2 Thessalonians 1, 7 says, and to you who are troubled, rest with us when the Lord Jesus Christ shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. So you'll get to rest, just not until he comes back. But man, I believe that day's coming soon. So let's just decide that we're going to live like it. We're going to live like that day's coming soon, and we'll, we'll live each day like it's our last, just looking for opportunities to serve the Lord and to grow. Because man, that's what it takes to be a man or woman of God. When you boil it down in simple terms, being a man of God just requires you to grow and mature in the Word of God by allowing it to affect your life. When you do that, you'll flee from what you should flee from. You'll follow what you're supposed to follow, and you'll fight what you're supposed to fight. But you can't do that apart from a diligent daily relationship with the Lord through His Word and prayer. We just can't make reading our Bible, or we just have to make reading our Bible and praying our priority. We should center our lives around those things. Um, they can't just be like, okay, I got to get this done so I can move on to the next thing. Man, no. Talk to the God of the universe. Talk to the guy who is more powerful than any being and any struggle you could ever have. Allow him to affect your life every day. Center your life around that. Because studying the Bible in prayer, that's how God communicates with us. That's how we have direct access to the God of the universe. So don't take that time for granted. Allow your time with the Lord to make you look more like Christ. 
Because the more you look like Christ, the more he can use you to accomplish. He suffered and died on the cross to purchase us from our lives stuck in sin. The least we could do is offer our lives in a way that focuses on him and what he wants. And the beautiful thing is that he wants to reward us for doing that, even though he has every right not to. Man, the Lord loves you. The Lord loves us. Make sure you love him enough to give him the time he wants in your life to shape who you are so that you can be a man or woman of God that makes a difference in eternity. Let's pray. God, we just thank you so much for the simplicity of your word. Um, In passages like this, you give us three short commands that, that if we just obey, man, our lives can be radically different from from the lives of the world around us. And, and you can use that to demonstrate your, your power and your love to, to the people who need to see it. And Lord, if we just commit to doing that, then, man, you can use us to make a difference in eternity. And that's actually an amazing thing to think about. You're the creator of the universe, but you choose to get stuff done through us. Um, and Lord, we're humbled by that. But Lord, we, we just want to commit to you, to, to allowing you to shape us into the beings that you want us to be. Uh, We know we're not perfect, but we know that you are. And we know that you're powerful enough to use us uh, to accomplish whatever it is you want to accomplish in our lives. So Lord, we just commit to that and we just commit to spending time with you on a daily basis to allow you to have that control of our lives. In your name we pray, amen.